Thank you for listening to this podcast from Renew San Diego, a church for the good of all our neighbors in North Park, San Diego. If you're ever in the area on Sunday mornings, we'd love to welcome you. More information at renewsandiego.org. Share with a friend. See you soon. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to speak and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please take a moment for silent reflection. The centering prayer is connected to our breath. It's prayed internally and silently. And so on the inhale, we pray, gracious God. And on the exhale, we pray, lead us by your spirit. So let's take some time together to pray that. Gracious God, lead us by your spirit. However we enter this very moment, healthy, happy, excited, optimistic, wealthy, entertained, scared, angry, addicted, depressed, believing, trusting, or cynical and skeptical, most of us a mixture of many of these adjectives. However we find ourselves right now, help us to see that you know us in all of our complexity, in all our contradictions, and your response is to move toward us in sacrificial, self-giving love in the person and work of your son, Jesus Christ. And so we do pray that you would lead us by your spirit. Open our eyes to your grace, our hearts to your love, our minds to your truth, and our lives to your renewing presence in this world. We pray these things for our good and for your glory. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. I decided intentionally, I said it out loud, I am a Christian, I am going to follow Jesus when I was a senior in high school. That was also the season in which I had discovered not only were, shall we call them, mind-altering substances, 
I mean, I grew up in Ocean Beach. Give me a break, right? What are you going to do? Not only were mind-altering substances fun for personal use, they were also profitable if you can distribute them widely enough. And I remember in that season, walking around at Mission Valley Mall one day with a a roll of of bills, a lot of money. And I think my girlfriend at the time was mad at me, and I think my best friend was mad at me. I mean, I'm sure I was the innocent bystander. They probably had good reason. And I remember looking at this money in the middle of Mission Valley Mall and thinking, I could buy anything I want in this whole mall. I remember the thought, my money will never let me down. And then I had this life-changing moment experience. Part of it was utterly embarrassing as my mom discovered that I had not only been using these mind-altering substances, but selling them. And I just felt exposed because I was. And I felt like I let her down because I did. And at that time, a student in a different high school came and gave me the come to Jesus, Jesus has a plan for your life talk, and it worked. I mean, I was ready for it. And so I went back to school and I told everybody, if you want any of this stuff anymore, I'm not selling it. I'm done. So you're going to need to go to this person or this person. Instantly, I lost all my friends. Incidentally, except for one, this guy named Billy, who was a top-ranked football player, went on to play high-level college, went on to play in the NFL. He was the only friend I didn't lose, and I think it's because he finally saw me do something with resolve in my life. And it was like, this guy finally is like stepping up. Good job. Everyone else was gone. The money was gone, needless to say. And I realized in that moment, it costs to follow Jesus. It was like my first lesson in that. <clears throat> there are people around the world right now meeting in secret churches because they're afraid of what will happen to them from the government or from their neighbors if they're found out as being Christians. It costs to be a Christian. Now, your cost might not be financially because you gave up the drug trade, or it might not be you're you know, hiding in a secret church because you're not, because you're here, although we might have friends joining in online in countries where it's inhospitable to be a Christian. But your persecution is real as you follow Jesus. And for some of you, it happens in your career or on your campus of your school where you're not gaining any popularity points for being a Christian, especially if you're in the sciences. Um, You're not gaining any points if you choose not to go with the crowd and stand by a student who is being bullied or choose not to go with the crowd who's making destructive choices but to stand back or even to speak out as a voice of reason. There's a cost. But there's also a gift to it. See, that friction, we're going to use the word persecution a lot, but you can interchange pushback, the friction, the difficulty of following Jesus also gives you a gift because it purifies and it deepens your connection to God. Or you can walk away, you can become silent and go with the flow. I understand, sometimes that's just easier. Maybe this is a call back. See, we're on the final beatitude. We've been going through this now for eight weeks. This is the ninth. And we're looking at these blessed are you statements. The word is makarios. It's this Greek word. It's a word that they use to describe the life of the gods. And yes, I'm talking about Zeus and all of those. What it's like to be godlike is to be blessed. And here comes Jesus saying, your life is godlike when you're being persecuted. What? How can that possibly be? He turns the common wisdom of the world on its head because of one phrase, the kingdom of heaven. It's on its way. 
and it's already here. He doesn't say yours will be the kingdom of heaven. He says yours is the kingdom of heaven. Your story takes place in a much grander story of Jesus' kingdom. And so that changes everything. When you are persecuted, when you experience loss, when you're mourning, when you experience pain, it is real. And you are not called to ignore it or minimize it. It is real. And it takes place in a much larger reality, a bigger reality, that even there, God's blessing is present to you. God's presence is with you. God's love showers over you. That's something the world just cannot take away from you. And so following Jesus in some ways not, might not make you safer. It might make you more dangerous in all the right ways. Let's take a look at that. Let's take a look at how persecution is an inevitable part of the grand story. How it's an, in, an indication that you are actually living into this story, and it's an invitation to remember the whole story. First, it's an inevitable part of the story. Jesus says in verse 11, blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you. Not if, when. Why is that? Because you're going against the current, and the currency that this world traffics in. On Friday, I went out for my morning swim in La Jolla, and as you know, there have been storms coming offshore. Those storms create powerful currents. And so we, we get into the water, the sun's rising, and we head out to our buoy, our turnaround spot, and I was fast, and it was easy. I looked at my watch, I was ahead of schedule. Why? I was going with the current. Then I had to turn around. And it was hard, and I struggled, and the chop of the water was coming toward me, slapping me in the face every second, and just to do something as simple as breathe, I had to think about it, because I had to get my head higher out of the water so I didn't take on gallons of salt water, which I inevitably did anyways, because I was going against the current, and I was slower. Persecution is inevitable if you choose to follow a savior and live as a citizen of a kingdom that is counter to the kingdoms of this world. I mean, think about it for a second. Why on earth would we think following a crucified savior would lead us down a path of nothing but ease? In 2 Timothy, this letter to a, uh, to a young leader um, the author says, all who want to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. Isn't that just hard to hear? Like, thanks a lot. I want to find something else. This happened with Jesus, by the way. Jesus would say things like this to his closest followers, and people would leave. And his friends and his followers would say, Jesus, we need to talk to the marketing department because you are not saying things that gather a lot of people right now. And Jesus turns to them and says, well, do you want to leave too? And they honestly think about it. And they say, where else would we go? You are the only one that have the words of eternal life. Jesus reminded anyone who follow, would follow him, they hated me, they will hate you too. Why is that? Why is it so controversial? I mean, if Jesus was just a teacher who taught peace and love, that's not all that controversial. That's the stuff that wins like pageants and 
politicians, you know, stump speeches. All we want is peace and love. If it was just that, it wouldn't be controversial. What's controversial about Jesus? And here it is. The Christian story is that God does for you what you could never do for yourself. So on one hand, it consoles you. It says, whoever you are, whatever you've done, wherever you are in life right now, God is presently going through great lengths to pursue you in love, and that love is never exhausted. It consoles you. And it confronts you. It says, and this is what you do to that love. You run from it. You wander from it. You don't trust it. You forsake it. You take matters into your own hands, and it confronts you. In other words, the gospel says you are probably worse than you'd care to imagine or admit, and more loved than you dared to believe at the same time. It's divine truth-telling about the sickness of our souls, and the great physician will tell you the truth, not to leave you that way, but to heal you. And in order to do that, he doesn't come with Band-Aids. We love Band-Aids. Quick fix. Give me the quick fix. I have a friend named Joe who's head of pediatrics at Stanford, and I remember having a drink with him one night, and I was like, Joe, is there a pill or a medicine out there that just does wonders for you physically, I'm just not aware of, I should be taking it like every day. I'm like looking for the best. And he goes, I don't know, Advil's pretty good. (laughs) We just want a quick fix. And Jesus doesn't come with a quick fix, doesn't come with a Band-Aid. But he does come to us with a cross, which shows you that there is no other way. If there was another way, believe me, he would have found it. There is no other way to bring about reconciliation and reunion with you and the world and to destroy death itself and the way it's ravaging you and the world he made. So it offends you, it confronts you and me personally, but it offends entire systems of the world that are based on violence or greed or payback or the strong over the weak or the rich over the poor or busy lives where injustice is just kind of winked at as we pass by at 100 miles per hour. In other words, the gospel critiques everything. Hopefully you saw this during the midterm election season, that Jesus is not from the right or from the left, but from above and reserves the right to critique all of it. There is no political party in this country or any other that 100% neatly fits into the gospel because it's made up of people like you and me. Which means Jesus reserves the right to critique any political system, any culture. There is no culture, no ethnicity, and no nationality on this planet that fully reflects the glory of God all the time. Does that surprise you? No, there's no people that fully reflect the glory of God all the time. There are moments, there are spaces, there are parts, and so we celebrate that, but Jesus reserves the right to critique all of it. And so we embrace this Savior, we identify with him, and you will know love and forgiveness and grace, and you will go against the current of your culture, and you'll feel pushback. Persecution is inevitable. You won't have to seek it. It will come naturally. 
It's an inevitable part of the story. And it's an indication that you are participating in the story. I'm going to date myself here a little bit, a lot. But in the 80s and 90s, when computers first came out, remember the Apple IIe? Anybody remember the Apple IIe? Yes, thank you so much. Good. 1987, 86, and there was this game called, well, everyone knows Oregon Trail. The last thing you want to do is dive dysentery on the Oregon Trail while fording a river. But there was another game called, some people are like, what in the world is Pastor Matt talking about? Some people are like, this is chicken soup for the soul right now. It's taking me back. There was another game called, where in the world is Carmen Sandiego? Yeah, all right. And you're looking for this fugitive that's on the run, and it's very simple. I mean, kids, do not picture a game that has moving graphics, okay? It's words. They were last seen in this place. Do you want to go to Istanbul, or do you want to go to Paris? And you, like, hit A or B, and then there's an 8-bit sound effect of an airplane, and you chose what city you were going to go to. And you knew that you chose the right city, and you were hot on their trail if, as soon as you landed, they tried to shoot you. Right? It, told, it told you that they're coming for you because they know you're coming for them. You're on the right track. If you landed and it was like peaceful, then you go, oh, I chose the wrong one. I'm in the wrong city. I'm not even near the action right now. Persecution is a sign that you're actually participating in the story. That you're actually in the game. Now, there is an important caveat here right now because someone is saying, Matt, this is what I hate about the church, is I have a family member or a friend who beats me over the head with the gospel all the time, and they think they're being persecuted when I tell them I don't want to have dinner with them. I'm not persecuting them. I just think they're a jerk, right? I get that. Here's the caveat. Persecuted for righteousness' sake. Persecuted for my name's sake. Persecuted for doing what's right. Versus just being shunned because you're a jerk or you're mean or you're overbearing or you're manipulative. So you always have to ask that. When you experience pushback, you say, what's my part in this? Am I being persecuted because of the gospel, because of Jesus, because I'm living this countercultural, upside down, but beautifully right side up life in a backwards world? Or am I being persecuted because I'm just really socially mean to other people? Okay? Don't spiritualize being mean. But that's not what he's talking about. He says, it's actually an indication when you're being persecuted for my name that you are the real deal. Jesus says, you are in the company of the prophets. Let that sink in. Let let that sink in for what that means for the original audience. You are in the company of Isaiah and Elijah and Malachi and Moses and all the greats and your name is on that. He's saying that to you and me. I remember when we lived in San Francisco, we ended up raising our three boys there, at least gave Joshua a start. He's nine years old now. Benjamin's a diehard Giants fan. And so we all loved Buster Posey. He was our great catcher. And he was given the, earned, awarded the National League MVP. And in this person's National League MVP speech, he said, I'm just honored to have my name mentioned in the same sentence as all the greats. Jesus says, when you're experiencing persecution because of the gospel, blessed are you because your name is being mentioned in the same sentence as all the greats. I remember playing football at St. Augustine High School here. I should say, I remember practicing football at St. Augustine here because I didn't play very much. We went to this CIF championship three years in a row. Remember the guy, Billy, I told you that went pro? He played the same position as me. Guess how often I played? Right. But it sure was fun lining up against him at practice. 
But I remember at the end of a game, there were kind of two, you know, one way to look at it. We're all teenagers at school. Either you had dirt on your jersey or you didn't. And if you had dirt on your jersey, it meant you got some action in the game and you were there. And if you didn't, it meant you didn't play. But the opposite is true as well. Jesus, um, this message is recorded in the Gospel of Luke as well. And Jesus gives the converse. He says in Luke chapter 6, when the world loves you, watch out. Because they love false prophets. In other words, when you follow him, you could expect to be persecuted. If you follow him and there's no pushback at all in your entire life, no friction, the question you might want to ask yourself is how close are you following him? Perhaps you're either on the sidelines or you're not in the game at all. He says to live this way is actually prophetic. Prophetic is to speak a deeper truth to a watching and wanting world in real time. So when you live this way, you will be as mysterious as the burning bush was for Moses. You will be displaying radical love. Not gaining the world and losing your soul, but rather displaying what it looks like to give your life for others. And so Christian friends, let's just take a moment for one diagnostic question. How have you experienced pushback because you identify with Jesus? If you think about your life, this, I'm really just talking to, to friends who are Christians. What has it cost you to follow Jesus? And what would it look like? How would you live differently if you were not afraid to be passed over at work for a promotion? What would it look like if you were not afraid to be rejected in a relationship? What would it look like if you were not afraid to die? Can you imagine a courageous life like that? That's when Jesus can say, blessed are you, no matter what. It's an indication that you're participating in the story, and it's also an invitation to remember the whole story. See, you know how this story ends. You know way more than the disciples who first heard these words. So when you are rejected by your family, or ridiculed by friends, or passed over for a promotion or a job, or treated as unenlightened or simple, when you are doubting the sacrifices you have made in your dating relationships, or in your career, or your business decisions, that's when knowing, rehearsing, experiencing the story over and over again is so critical so you don't develop spiritual amnesia and forget who you are. What does it look like to rehearse the story? To drink it down deep into your bones that you are a beloved child of God and God will never leave you or forsake you. It's bigger than the acceptance any person or institution could ever offer you. And it's part of what we celebrate in the church in the sacrament of baptism. For anybody who has been baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, you go back to your baptism and you say, the truest thing about me is that I'm a beloved child of God. 
completely reborn, re- being remade in God's image. God will never leave me or forsake me. And nobody can ever take that away from me. You literally, in baptism, immerse yourself in the truth of who you are and who God is. A Christian is called to identify your sufferings with the suffering of Christ. And it's not just these things are terrible, but I'm a Christian and things will get better one day, and you put a hallmark platitude on top of it. You never see that being commended in Scripture. What do you see instead? Ruthless honesty with how difficult things can be. Jesus on the cross quoting the, the lamentation in Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Let that bend your mind for a moment. In Jesus Christ, you see God who knows what it's like to be forsaken by God. Or at least so it seems in the moment. Ruthless honesty. I have a friend right now who's going through a difficult situation. And he called me this week, and he unloaded all of it. He goes, I'm so sorry to unload all this on you. I said, first of all, it's what I do for a living. Second of all, we're friends. I said, how can I be a good friend to you? And he goes, I just needed to say it out loud. I actually don't need anything. I just had to get it out. So one tool is you can lament. You can say, this is terrible. This is unjust. I do not like this. If it, if it could be a different way, I'd have it a different way. Ruthless honesty. There's also freedom in submitting, as Jesus shows us on the cross. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. You say, God is even present in this very moment. If I could change it, I would. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, the wisdom to know the difference. It gives you a new courage altogether. There were these two clergy in in 1555 named Latimer and Ridley. And you had King Henry VIII with all of his craziness, and then you had um, Edward, and then you had Bloody Mary. This is Anglo history. And under, she was called Bloody Mary for a reason, okay? There was, there was Bloody Mary before there was the drink down the road. And she was Bloody Mary because she killed a lot of people. And these two were standing up for their faith in Christ and they were standing against abuses that they saw in the name of Christianity and they weren't going to back down. And so in Oxford, England, to this day, I was there for a conference not too long ago and there are these cobblestones in the middle of Broad Street shaped in the shape of a cross and it's where the post was, where they were surrounded with kindling and wood and burned at the stake. And in Fox's Book of Martyrs, they have an eyewitness account of what happened that day. It says, they brought a lighted torch and laid the same down at Ridley's feet, upon which Latimer said, calling out from the fire, be of good comfort, Master Ridley, and play the man. We shall this day light such a candle by God's grace in England as I trust shall never be put out. That's courage. What could drive someone to have that much courage? I think it drives, what can drive someone to have that much courage is the same Holy Spirit that drives you and me, that fills us and is closer to us than the air we breathe, always present, always available, never will leave you, never will forsake you. Where do you need to have courage today? Or maybe you're pouring yourself out. 
I know a lot of your, one of the gifts of being a pastor is I know so many of your stories. You are pouring yourself out. Allow this to fill you back up. Because we not only have the sacrament of baptism, we have the sacrament of communion. That's why we come back every Sunday and we eat and we drink and we feast together to remember and to live and to ingest the grace of God. There's a new hope altogether. There's another kingdom that is coming. It is already here, but it is not here fully. You're part of a bigger story. You're also baptized into community. You're also invited to feast at this table with everyone else. Christianity is inherently communal. I always say Christianity is inherently plural. Your relationship with Jesus Christ might be personal, but it's never private. That's why in the New Testament, they're always not, they're not saying you individually, they're saying y'all as a community will experience Christ in these ways. Remember I told you in the beginning about this newfound faith, this newfound courage. I went back to school and I said, I'm out of business and I lost all my money and I lost all my friends except for Billy. Thank you, Billy. And that lasted for about a month because I had new conviction and new faith and new decision and no community. And I was alone. I had conviction without community. Friends, how are you giving yourself in community? How are you welcoming other people into your life? And then a year later, when I showed up at the University of San Diego, I was invited to this Christian ministry called InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, and I was surrounded by amazing and pathetic and beautiful and broken people just like me, and I had conviction with community, and they supported me, and I supported them, and it was sometimes two steps forward and three steps backward for this guy, but they never gave up on me. It's the reason I'm standing before you right now. I never thought I'd be a pastor. I wasn't sure if I'd be a committed Christian but the spirit of God came alive in the context of community. It's why I do what I do. It's why I, this is my pride and joy, Renew Church. It's the community part of it. Indwelt by the spirit of God. So friends, Blessed are you when you are persecuted, when you experience pushback for doing what is right and what God requires. Blessed are you when you are persecuted and receive pushback because you associate with the name of Jesus. Blessed are you when you pour yourself out on behalf of others, as God will be pouring God's self into you every day. Amen. Let's pray. Gracious God, we do pray now in the midst of this amazing city that you've called us to, this beautiful world, and at the same time, this broken city that you've called us to, and this hurting world. Help us to go with the current of your grace, to be a visible sign in this world of your coming kingdom that's already here. And I pray now, in this moment of brief reflection, that you would make that specific for us. How can we follow you more today? To whom will you send us? Give us the courage to follow you wherever you lead, we pray in your name. Amen.